an ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Hey there, this is Deepa from Fighter Thrive and I'm here with a very special guest, Dr. Aarti Surya and she's coming to us all the way from Michigan, USA. What really took me by amazement was seeing that Aarti also is passionate about sleep as a new medicine and her Instagram profile says the sleep revolutionist. So it was destiny that guided me to Aarti within few days of starting a sleep Instagram handle. And we're going to take you today through everything sleep. And how important is sleep, the root causes behind poor sleep, some takeaways. Aarti is an integrative physician and she's been focusing her work on root cause resolution. Aarti, tell me, what's your story? So what brought you towards this? I always loved sleep. I was always the first one person to fall asleep, you know, between my family and friends. And I went through a very stressful period about a couple years ago. There was tons of hurdles with my job. And all of a sudden, I went into, I didn't know it at the time, but fight or flight. And when you're in fight or flight, you stop sleeping, your mood gets off, you're just not able to just calm the system down. And unfortunately, at that time, I didn't really have good tools on learning how to deal with this, you know, without having to resort to medications. I was too scared to actually medicate, if you want me to be completely honest, being a physician, I was too scared to. And so it led me down the path of, you know, how to use traditional Ayurvedic herbs and then lifestyle to really hone in on how to have really good sleep, because honestly, it is the best drug for you. And Deepa, you and I have been talking, you know, for the past couple of days where we just, there is no other drug that can recreate what sleep can do for you. So it was mother nature, you know, we've always evolved as a species and everything as an evolution has been for our benefit. Sleep is one of the things that we have not yet evolved out of. So there's a big purpose for it in our day-to-day lives. And because we moved very quickly from nature to our modern lifestyles, people started to skimp on it thinking they can increase productivity with work or they can make more money if they're sleep deprived. So there was a cultural evolution where, you know, the harder I work, the more money I'll make, the more successful I will be if I skimp on sleep. Don't you think that cultural aspect itself is a sympathetic dominance of our society? Absolutely. It's so fascinating that a whole cultural, as a world, you know, we've become so 
you know, sympathetic, dominant, you you nailed it. And we can't, we don't know now how to unravel that. So we're starting to kind of go back to old ways because it is showing up now as disease and it's affecting every single aspect of our physiology. So you can start from the head down to the whole body, you know, it'll affect your way of thinking, your mood, your, how your heart functions, how your lungs function, how your digestive system functions, how you recover uh, after workouts or how you assimilate your nutrients from your food, all is affected from really good quality sleep. Even if you don't have symptoms of different systems, if you're having poor sleep, the impact is being felt silently. So it's like a ripple effect that can be seen much later. You might not see it that day. You can get by with coffees and sugars but then at some point it's going to just like a bubble burst where the immune system collapses and actually that's what happened to me where my immune system totally collapsed and for two years I struggled to get over urinary tract infections where I would uh, actually have uh, antibiotics about four to five times a year. And eventually, even a urologist gave up on me saying, I can't help you. So it was a point where I wasn't sleeping at all. And the whole night I would be awake. And there were multiple reasons for that. One was a very stressful job, like you said. And the other was the first introduction to the world of social media. So, Mm -hmm. you know, start looking into your phone at night, that's it, you're done for because then you get into a loop of, of course, there's light impact, but there's also the hit to the brain for every time you're looking, checking on the phone, seeing if you've got another like and that's like a dopamine hit. So there's so many things going on. So that's what happened for me. And I think it triggered when my son was born with adrenal disorder. So for the first year, every week I was running to the ER in the middle of the night. It programs you into this. You're always in that state of emergency, what you said, fight or flight. So Mm -hmm. then... You've already programmed your body like that. So it takes a long, long time to actually change that. And recently, somebody who's been working with me for six months, she actually asked me, what is this sympathetic dominance you talk about? So they don't even understand that simple things such as nose breathing versus mouth breathing creates like nose breathing uh, triggers a parasympathetic dominance, whereas mouth breathing triggers the sympathetic dominance. So there's so much if you watch people collectively as a society, we are sympathetic dominance. So how about you get us started just talking about adrenals, talking about the HPA axis, and talking about sympathetic versus parasympathetic in a very lay person's terms. So let's start with sympathetic and parasympathetic. Our nervous system, both those sides make up our nervous system. We are still wired like our ancestors. So people don't, uh, you know, put those dots together, but we are still physiologically wired like our ancestors. So when our ancestors saw a tiger, 
fight or flight, right? You need to run away from the tiger because it is going to kill you, okay? <laughs> that is short periods of stress, okay? You are supposed to be able to handle short periods of stress. That is actually good for you because it keeps your body in tip-top shape. In our modern societies, we have modern-day tigers, such as deadlines, jobs, relationships, uh, social media. So this is keeping our nervous system in fight or flight. So you're now 24-7 in this sympathetic or fight or flight uh, dominance, as you mentioned. And we're never getting into parasympathetic mode, which is rest and digest. This is where healing happens, okay? So if you're constantly in fight or flight, you're never healing. If you're never healing and repairing, now this is showing up as disease, okay? So it can be subtle things like just feeling fatigued, you know, mood being a little bit off, short-tempered. And then, like you mentioned, it's this slow thing that's happening over time. You know, this can then show up as cardiac issues, other more severe medical issues. So sympathetic nervous system, you mentioned the adrenals. The adrenals are part of what we call the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal access. And they're the ones who send out the alarm system called cortisol. And this is, you know, meant to be good for short periods of time, but, you know, long periods of time can start to dysregulate your other hormones that also come out of the adrenal glands, like your sex hormones. So your testosterone, your estrogen, your progesterone, this can show up as hormonal imbalance. So if you've got for women, PMS issues, difficulty with menopause or around perimenopause, aldosterone issues, which helps keep salt in and water in. So now all of a sudden you're craving a lot more salt. So people will go for potato chips eating all the time or salting their food more. And then cortisol dysregulates your blood sugar. So now you're craving that quick sugar because you're trying to medicate something that is dysregulated in your physiology. But do you feel people even understand? See, for example, I didn't even know I had an adrenal gland till my son was born without a functional one. So I don't think even today when I ask people, do you know what is the adrenal gland? They don't know there's something like that. And it's just not given. It's important. It's a little gland with such a big role to play because it influences so many systems. It's a bi-directional axis as well, isn't it? So the personality can drive the functioning nature of the adrenal gland and then how your adrenals are functioning can in turn direct how your personality is. So if you're sympathetic dominant, you're more the type A and it's fine to have goals, but then it's at the cost of everything else. It's work, work, work until you burn out. And there's no play at all. And that impacts everything, your relationships. And as I said, there are there's diagnosis of metabolic disorders earlier and earlier today. People just don't seem to connect it all to this underlying cause of overall inflammation. Mm-hmm. And all of this is contributing to it. And poor sleep has such a massive role to play that people are actually joking about things like 
oh, when I'm um, women, when I'm in my uh, luteal phase or when I'm ovulating, I don't sleep at all. That's the time I'm chatting with friends through the night. It's not a small thing, right? So it can cause severe, it can lead to estrogen dominance in women, which then becomes something that feeds the female cancer. So not to alarm anybody, but so many times when women get diagnosis of breast cancer, cervical cancer, at that time, everybody's feeling so sorry for them. But there's so much women can do before. And I always describe it as uh, listen to your body when it whispers. Don't wait for it to shout and scream. Absolutely. And that's what we do. So recently, yesterday, I posted that if you're in a good relationship, you don't need to shout to be heard. So in a similar way, have a relationship that's equal with your body where it doesn't have to shout and scream for you to listen to it. So Absolutely. how about you do a round through of different systems and how they impact sleep so before we get to what are the repercussions of poor sleep so what are the systems and how do different systems influence your inability to have good quality sleep so when you are what we were talking about sympathetic dominant okay it's the alarm system for the body so if the, if it's an alarm system going off it's not you know beneficial for you to fall asleep right? Because your body is interpreting it as a threat. Now, what happens with the GI system is if you're under threat, your body thinks you're running away from a tiger. So I need to save myself. Your priority is not to digest food at that point. It is to run away from the tiger and save your life. So your body down-regulates your acid production. It down-regulates your enzyme production because the priority is not to digest the food. Now, we're not running away from tigers anymore, but yet we're still fight or flight and we're still eating, okay? So if we're still eating and we don't have the goods essentially to digest our food, then it starts to kind of rot and ferment in our gut, which can lead to dysbiosis or meaning imbalance between good and bad bacteria in our gut. And that can now show up as acidity, flatulence, a lot of burping, just not digesting your food well, bloating, pain with uh, eating. So then not irregular bowel movements because you're not really digesting your food well, but you just keep pounding it in anyway. So people haven't quite put that, I guess, those dots together yet. The other thing is at night is when everything repairs. So your gastrointestinal lining so if you're not sleeping and you're stressed out, this is another, you know, double whammy that we call it because if you're not repairing the intestinal lining, it's your barrier to the outside world. It's your protection from the environment. And now it can start to become a little bit leaky. Stuff can start to leak into your bloodstream, which can then cause an immune reaction and like set you up for, you know, predisposition to autoimmunity or allergies food intolerances. And do you feel that people don't give gut issues the importance that it deserves? Because I still see people say joking about things like, 
oh, I just have a lot of gas. It's I don't have to pay anybody to have gas. I mean, there's so many jokes which are now make it seem that gut is not being taken seriously, and uh, gut issues are often downplayed. And because a lot of gut symptoms can be relieved by over-the-counter prescription. That's also an alarming trend because people are staying on antacids and acid blockers for years and then uh, saying when they're trying to come off of it that there's too much acid when in fact it's not that at all. But it's hard to get people to see the connection because they're so attached to prescription drugs by then. So for me, it's refreshing to actually see a physician talking about avoiding um, medication and instead focusing on interventions like sleep, which is not just more uh, healing, but it's also absolutely cheap, guys. You don't need to pay any <laughs> You make a good point right? because I think we're very conditioned in our modern society that if it doesn't come in the form of a pill or a fancy medical intervention, it's not medicine. But I will tell you, most of the medicine is actually in how you live your day-to-day -day life to enable repair and healing. And so this will keep you happy and healthy. You know, your view of life will be very, very positive. If you just go for the pills, Use the pills if you need to in the short term, but don't forget to work on the root cause because it will not set you up for good longevity and health in the long run. And oftentimes, anyway, when people do take uh, medication for sleep, they say that they wake up a bit groggy, not really refreshed. So it's not optimal sleep. Right. It's such a sedated sleep at times that they're not really helped by it overall. So what do you think the liver has as a role in poor sleep? Do you think the liver, do you think people are aware of how important the liver is and what does it do and how can it impact sleep? Because I personally know when I've gone a little bit too much on what my liver can handle by when my sleep goes for a toss. So I think that see, since the liver is actually detoxifying even internal metabolites like cortisol and estrogen, so if you're cocked yourself up with constipation and you're not eliminating and the liver's taking a toll, that's a major stress for sleep to even come by. So what would you say were your thoughts about liver health and sleep? Absolutely. So the liver is our powerful detoxifying organ. And so as I was saying, you know, before we keep bombarding ourselves with like, you know, just stress 24-7, then eating 24-7, maybe not the right foods 24-7. And then on top of that, you know, we're trying to self-medicate to get to sleep because we're so wound up, we can't sleep with alcohol or, you know, sedative medications, which are not actually getting you, you into the deep stages of sleep that actually help with repair. So that is all overburdening the liver because the liver's poor organ can only do so much. And if we keep pounding on it and pounding on it and pounding on it, it can never really, you know, start to clear out the toxins. And this is what makes people feel bad. 
And so there's no medication really to fix that, but your lifestyle, which would go hand in hand with sleep. So what would you actually do if somebody uh, had challenges with their liver and recently, especially in functional medicine, there's a lot about methylation and uh, genetic liver challenges, which prevent people from detoxifying optimally. So what would you actually advise somebody like that? And I know that people don't really connect something as simple as alcohol and they say, no, 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 they'll joke that when they have a few glasses of wine, their sleep is much better. So there's that connection between alcohol, the liver and sleep. So how about you just connect the dots between those three things, the uh, liver, alcohol and sleep? So alcohol is a sedative. It's not actually something that's going to impair, it's not going to help your sleep. So what happens with alcohol is one, it is a toxin. So your liver has to clear it out. Two, when does clearing out of toxins happen? During sleep. But alcohol, what it does is that it actually, it's a sedative. So you're not getting into stages three and four of sleep which is where healing and repair and detoxification happens. So yes, you might be passed out. Yes, you might sleep through the night, but it's not good quality sleep. Now, with alcohol, it's actually confusing because you're only getting more into the alpha brain waves, which are just the calming ones. But what happens in the deep stages of sleep, you're getting more into theta and delta. Now, if you don't get into that, that's when it's just a bad cycle. Then the next day, you're going to feel groggy. No, I mean, everyone's usually hungover after they <laughs> drink. So it's not a good feeling. You know, it, you're, that's why it's because you're not repairing. And if you're not repairing, that's right. another burden on the liver. So it's just kind of this kind of bad cycle that people repeat and repeat and repeat. And you mentioned methylation. And that then- gets a little bit more in depth. Uh, like there would probably be certain lab tests that people would need to check to see whether they're genetics. I and say that the feeling hungover is also just a sign that the liver's been unable to process the alcohol itself. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, how do other systems influence poor sleep in women, like uh, sex hormone balance, blood sugar balance? How does that actually? How can somebody? recognize if they have blood sugar imbalance and some of the signs that they've got blood sugar blood sugar imbalance specifically related to poor sleep or when they are waking up or unable to fall asleep how what are the signs of blood sugar imbalance sure signs of blood sugar imbalance include cravings for really quick processed sugar so people who are going for the candies or, you know, cakes and cookies, all of that. And then the other big sign that I look for in patients is if you don't eat in time, do you get headaches? Do you get irritable, anxious? Anxiety is a big symptom of blood sugar imbalance. Do you stay asleep? Okay, so people who have blood sugar imbalances or if they're super stressed out, they have actually a hard time keeping their blood sugar stable overnight. So do you do better with a snack before bed? And then do you sleep through the night? Or do you wake up in the middle of the night feeling a little bit anxious and then you have to go get something to eat and then it's okay? So those would be the big things that I look for 
in terms of blood sugar instability. Big mistake people make is that they think it's just because if they're young, it's not an issue for them. It can't be an issue for them. But I will tell you, it definitely is, and it goes under the radar. The other big thing I would also look out for is sleep apnea. So ruling out medical issues for poor sleep. So if you're not able to actually oxygenate well, then you need to delve a little bit deeper into that. And it's not just people who are obese, who have big necks. I will tell you, we catch it all the time in our clinic where people are thin and frail, but they've been under huge amounts of stress or something. The system is broken down. You're just constitutionally weaker. So you cannot keep your airway open. And if you cannot keep your airway open, that's going to lead to non-restorative sleep. And for me, it's always a antenna popping up for blood sugar imbalance. If somebody says, I actually have a question on my intake form. Are you awake between 2 and 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. trying to fall back? Because that's usually a time of uh, cortisol naturally spiking in sleep, slowly in preparation for wake up. So if somebody's blood sugar is swinging tremendously and they're so intolerant to the sugar, so then the sugar crashes at around that time, cortisol spikes too early and then it wakes you up in a state of emergency. And then the other way to find that out is simply if you're... um, severely anxious at that hour so any little problem that you have during the day suddenly seems 100 times worse so that's really the sign of blood sugar imbalance and I find that myself because on the days that I eat a little bit of uh, less optimal fat protein fiber and it's a little more starchy with Indian foods like idlis and dosas And then I find that I can't. I wake up at 2 a.m. And then even me, I suddenly have that spike of a little bit of anxiety. But that's telling me that it's my physiology and it's what I've done to myself. So there's no need for people to get worked up every time anxiety strikes and then reach for a anti-anxiety medication which at times you require but I think it's also being self-prescribed and used a little too easily today. I think you make a really good point because I think people are scared or don't want to acknowledge that they may need to work on something themselves which takes a little bit of work and so I think there's a fear almost to face yourself in the way you're living And I think sometimes even just having blood sugar imbalance predisposes you towards the inability to change because it's keeping you in that track of uh, seeking out the wrong food. So sometimes if you just begin with one baby step of eating more fiber, more fats and little bit more protein at night, then Once it starts stabilizing, it doesn't seem so daunting. Change doesn't seem like something which is impossible for you. So then you also start to take the bigger steps after that. But so you do need to begin with some baby steps in that direction. How about we talk a little bit about the connection between women's hormones and sleep because there's so many stages to that and I can actually connect 
to uh, sleeping poor at specific times of the month as i said i have friends who just joke about sleep going for a toss premenstrual or during ovulation so i think women also on an average don't know how their hormones are released through the month that in the first phase of the cycle the follicular phase you really don't have progesterone so it's a phase of estrogen then mm-hmm. that rises and then gently flows down at ovulation and then after ovulation if you ovulated properly then progesterone is released as well as estrogen again and they rise and then again they crash before your period so that's when there's lot of change so women actually joke about I had somebody who joked to me when I spoke about ovulation that I don't plan on birthing human babies. They think that if they don't want children, they don't need to produce progesterone or have optimal ovulation. Whereas progesterone is required for so many things other than just mm-hmm. making babies. It's actually the hormone which helps you not feel anxious in the second part of the cycle so how about you talk to us a little bit about women's uh, hormones and the connection to sleep i mean you covered it pretty well <laughs> but one thing i'll add is that uh hormones like you said are not just meant for your menstrual cycle they have other uh, effects on the body such as cardiac health your brain health so optimizing and making sure that you are actually having a regular menstrual cycle every month is actually a key and it's actually a report card for you and your overall right. health okay it is a report card so people who end up on birth control or they, where they only have four periods a year or something you're actually kind of digging yourself a little bit of a deeper hole and i don't want to say i don't want to take away people's autonomy in terms of birth control and you know um sexual health but there are other methods um to kind of naturally kind of track your cycle and all that but there are outside effects besides your menstrual cycle like bone health cardiac health brain health that are all impacted by your hormones so you should care for it so that it is actually optimizing all aspects of your health everything is interconnected i think we've done a disservice sometimes when we've moved away from looking at things as a whole body to separate systems and only um fixing one system in the western med- medical world where it's all actually really interconnected and so you know i see people that end up on birth control but then down the line their mood tanks or you know it has an effect on that so um or they can't get pregnant so people with infertility issues uh should really really hone in on optimizing their hormones and sleep plays a huge role because this is when your hormones repair and are optimized if you will so and there's a connection between sex hormones and adrenal health as well so if cholesterol actually is the backbone to make both cortisol and progesterone so if somebody's perpetually stressed then the body prioritizes cortisol over progesterone that month so they actually miss out on optimal ovulation and then lose out all the benefits that progesterone can offer them so again it takes you back to that hpa axis and how important it is to shift to the parasympathetic 
dominance, especially if you've been chronically sympathetic dominant. So it's very, there's so many connections between systems and we do need to start looking at everything as a whole and not just taking things as one or the other. So you make a really good point. So you said cholesterol is a backbone to making your hormones, right? So cholesterol becomes pregnenolone, pregnenolone becomes progesterone, right? Progesterone then becomes cortisol. The other sex hormones that also come out, testosterone, estrogen. So if you're showing any signs of imbalance in your sex hormones or your menstrual cycle, you know, check your lab values for cholesterol. Your body is smart. It will upregulate the production and absorption of cholesterol to keep all of those hormones afloat. So if you only look at it from a cardiac perspective that, oh, my cholesterol is high, but you don't evaluate your stress level, you'll never get the results that you're looking for. And in fact, I must stop you there because we need to talk about this. This is an alarming trend in India where they're actually celebrating when they get lab markers where total cholesterol has dropped very low. And then they're celebrating saying that the diet that they followed has helped with that. But in when in fact, uh, low cholesterol is probably for me far more damaging than a little elevation in total cholesterol because it then uh, impacts brain health, neuro, it, it can cause neurodegeneration. So cholesterol is given such a bad name and often you see people looking at their cholesterol when it's a little high and trying to say I need to cut all my fat. So I don't think even women understand the true importance of the need to eat fat. So, and again, eat, it's not just about eating fats, you need to also be able to digest fat, which then goes back to the health of the liver. So again- And so whole GI system and the whole gastrointestinal, yeah. So what's, what are your thoughts on cholesterol as a physician? Where would you get alarm if somebody's total cholesterol dropped below a certain number? Usually below 145. Well, in sure, I've actually seen people celebrating when they've gotten to 150, saying that it's still too low. Yeah, it's still very low. Yeah, very happy that it's dropped low. So I think it's very important that you raise a few points about how important it is to have optimal total mm-hmm. cholesterol. Sure. So cholesterol, like you mentioned, is really good for brain health. But think about it from a cellular level too. So if we have the cell, the cell's membrane is actually made up of cholesterol or lipids, right? It's called a phospholipid bilayer. And so this helps keep the integrity of the cell so that it can, one, communicate with the other cells so that the connection and the communication is optimal. Your brain is mostly made up of cholesterol your neurons are made up of cholesterol. So when people actually abnormally decrease their fat intake and thinking that they're doing themselves a really good thing, they actually can show up with, you know, not thinking clearly, uh, mood issues, fatigue. This can all be related to uh, a low cholesterol diet and you need cholesterol to actually make your hormones. This is the precursor. And so when people go on these low-fat diets, what do they do? They actually end up eating more sugar. And sugar actually is the bigger problem 
than actually the fat. The fat actually helps keep your blood sugar stable so that you're not craving the, you know, quick sugars and cupcakes and cookies and all that and the bad stuff. So that's why really good quality fats like ghee, coconut oil, um, you know, olive oil can be really good for helping stabilize your blood sugar. It's almost a movement that's stopping ghee and ghee is such a healthy fat. And in fact, even when I have clients where I take them off dairy, I actually allow them to have ghee in pretty generous uh, quantities because ghee is just super for brain health and hormones. So what is your take on dairy? So I would say if it is grass-fed, no hormones injected, then I'm okay with it. Um, Raw is best if you can get your hands on it, but um, as long as it's organic, grass-fed, and you're tolerating it while you're not bloating or anything, I'm okay with it. Ghee, you know, they've boiled out all of the stuff that potentially could be causing any of the issues. So for a lot of people, so it's usually well tolerated by people, even if if you can't uh, take milk or yogurt. Ghee is a bit tricky because even here you'll find ghee which is not truly clarified. So traditionally it's prepared at home where it's boiled down slowly until all the casein is um, almost toasted brown and then you filter it out. Whereas the ghee which is just bought everywhere, sometimes it's not clarified enough and that's not an indicator of whether you can tolerate ghee. It simply means that the method of preparation hasn't been optimal. So I find even those who are pretty intolerant to dairy can in fact tolerate ghee when it's prepared well. Mm-hmm. That said, I agree with you about the grass fed and if you have, we have somebody in the local farm who has a cow and he looks after his cow like his own child mm-hmm. and go home at five o'clock saying she doesn't allow anyone else to milk her. So if it's something like that, then I don't see a problem having dairy. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it should be completely erased out of everybody's life because it's such a healthy fat. Yeah, and I find, you know, then you don't get those sugar cravings right after you eat lunch or something. If you have a good fat with your lunch, then you don't have to, you know, go for chocolate or anything after. (laughs) The, the, The point about cholesterol... Uh, though going back is it is an issue if you're showing signs of or on your lab work if you have inflammation markers that are elevated then it's more of a concern for cardiac issues but even now the guidelines are changing for cholesterol even here that it's no longer the demon that it was made out to be what before is, what is your level what what's the level you'd like to see your patients at You know, it depends on whether they're in acute adrenal stress or not. (laughs) Everything is, it depends. (laughs) It depends. So if you're super, super stressed out, which I saw this in myself, my cholesterol jumped 17 points from like 160 to 178 or some 77, you know, so it jumped quite a bit, but I knew why. So I wasn't going to go on a drastic diet or anything because I was like, okay, it's my body trying to compensate. So if that's the case, then it's all in relation to where you are, mind, body, spirit at that point. So, you know, 160 in people who are in menopause for women, 
you can see it in the 200s or even low 200s. But if there are ratios of all the cholesterol, you know, HDL to triglyceride ratio and all, you can look at more detailed labs to really see what is their actual risk. You cannot just go by one total number. It doesn't tell you anything. Exactly. And not just that. I think it's just one snapshot in time. So it's important to look at trends and track it over months. And just one lab is not something to either get panicked about or celebrate about absolutely absolutely so how about we quickly look from all the systems we spoke about we talk about some takeaways like what's an ideal plate for great sleep how does one support the adrenal health and uh, just imagine that I've come to you for poor sleep and my adrenals are shot to pieces because my son is stressing me out and uh, <laughs> I'm not eating optimally. So what would you advise me to do? First, fix the lifestyle issues, right? So environmental issues. So I like to start with stuff that's easy so it doesn't overwhelm people. So usually one of the biggest environmental factors that affects sleep is light, okay? And right now we're missing a lot of the signals because of our modern lifestyle with, you know, electronics and lamps even. We've artificially extended daylight. This is not normal to our physiology at all. And we're still wired like our ancestors. So our physiology is always a little bit, I think, messed up because of the advent of artificial light. Now in the evening time, what I would say is you've got to start to train your body and mind to keep a rhythm. Rhythm is the best thing that you can do for helping recover your adrenal glands. So in the evening time, start to dim your light. If it's starting to dim outside, it should start to dim inside your house too. And I know that's not always possible. People have work to do. They still need to do stuff on the computer. Protect yourself. Get blue light blocking glasses, okay? And I always tell people, make sure you have ones that cover the side of your eye too because any amount of light that's going to come in is going to disrupt your melatonin production. That is the biggest thing that we are really, as a human beings, messing with is our production of melatonin. Melatonin is anti-inflammatory, it's anti-cancer, it helps uh, decrease tumor progression because you're getting into healing mode. There are studies that have shown that if you expose yourself to blue light two hours before bed, your melatonin production decreases like 20 to 50%. (laughs) Biggest thing for repair is really watching your light exposure. And I think I want to add two things to that. One is that there's also a connection again between melatonin and progesterone. So they mm-hmm. are, they do share a complementary relationship. And also that it's important as well, just as you said, to reduce the light in the evening is to expose your light eyes to natural light during the day, which many times are covered by beautiful eye shades and you're covering up your eyes it's very important to also expose your retina to the sunlight during the day which again sets the rhythm for the night uh, melatonin so there's so much synergy there it's important to get out in the sun exercise in the morning if you Mm -hmm. can because it helps with raising cortisol levels in the morning 
and again cortisol is not bad we all need it we need it to stay sharp it's only when it's dysfunctional that it's a problem and cortisol is also vilified at times and that's just not true as well like yeah, i think right. sure that with my son who doesn't have cortisol there's so many uh, challenges because of that improper blood sugar management mood management uh, brain health so cortisol has to be given the right place mm-hmm. and it's there to support people and it should also be treated with some amount of love and care Absolutely. And you nailed it. Everything in our body is checks and balances. It's an imbalance, right? So nothing is bad, nothing is good. It's just the balance. The other thing is really giving yourself a nighttime routine so that you're training your brain that it is time to go to bed. We're exposed to too many things that keep our brain activated, you know, the especially social media even even if people think that that is relaxing it's actually not for your brain it's activating your brain so people are watching netflix a little bit later right now because exactly. of the pandemic and uh you know just keeping their brain a little bit more active think about just always think back what were the ancestors doing they 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 weren't doing any of this on the campfire probably yeah. just and in fact i have to tell women two things one is even if you uh, have something to do all day long don't sit after your child has gone to bed to focus on mental work because you're creating uh, activity in your brain and then mm-hmm. or sit watching netflix especially exciting thrillers which keep you in the fight or flight mm-hmm. tell me one ideal food plate for good sleep oh something with complex carbohydrates protein and fat. So I I'm a huge fan of khichdi because I think you've got your ghee, you've got rice, you've got protein and if you eat yogurt you've got that as well. So I it's nice because it's a light light dinner but it's filling. You shouldn't go to bed with a huge amount of food in your stomach because then your body is trying to digest the food and then it's not repairing at night. So ideally 3 hours before bed you know you should hopefully be cutting off eating if you have blood sugar issues though however this is where i break the rule a little bit or if you're trying to you know bring your adrenals back into balance and you are having a hard time keeping your blood sugar stable then i say some nuts before bed is okay cuz now you've got protein and fat to help keep your blood sugar stable overnight that way you're not waking up hopefully because you're you're able to keep it a little bit more stable and i don't think people are really eating as much veggies as they should be so that's usually where i start so my starting point is always the veggies but mm-hmm. that was such a great conversation i love talking to you and for i love talking truly, to you too deepa <laughs> for me truly my mantra now is sleep is the new medicine so before you try anything else before you look at anything fancy just working on sleep is the right place to start on your healthcare journey any final words for us i think you know you mentioned it's the best drug and it will change your life if you actually you know nurture it because you will be happier you will be healthier and you will be able to fight off anything that might be coming your way such as infections or 
you'll be able to correct things overnight because you're getting into repair mode. So just think of it, think of it as a drug. It is a drug and no physical drug actually can recreate what this does for you. So hope you all enjoyed uh, listening to my conversation with Dr. Arti. Thank you. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. This is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or service. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a medical practitioner. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. Be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.mysleepwhisperer.com It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. <music>